welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast that examines the work of Star Wars creators. I'm John. I'm Mike. And we are here with a special episode today. We're going to give you a commentary on the Rebels Season 3 episode, The Antilles Extraction. Uh, the uh, much-anticipated and much-ballyhooed episode written by Gary Whitta, who wrote the first draft, I guess, of, uh, of Rogue One. And uh, let's just, without further ado, we're going to say to everybody, let's go ahead and get everything queued up. If you're watching on iTunes, you're going to want to start at about four seconds in, because that is going to be uh, when the Disney XD promo logo stops and the episode begins. And we will uh, we will make a note. We'll do this Ron Moore style and make a note at the end of each act for those people watching it with commercials or on the uh, XD app. All right. Okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. So let's go ahead and give ourselves a countdown. Three, two, one, start. So we've just had ships pop out of hyperspace. Yes. So, yeah, the reason why we're doing this is because in our very first episode, which you can also find today, uh, we talked about uh, all of the writers of Rogue One, including Gary Whitta and how he had just written two movies, um, which, uh, um, you know, wasn't necessarily a, a good indication, we thought, of, of how he would handle the Star Wars universe. So here we have him handling the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. literally. And it, it came out in between the time that uh, we recorded that episode and that, 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 that episode dropped. So now let's uh, take a look and see what Gary Whitta does in a prequel to Star Wars Episode Four, in a sense. A prequel to a prequel of Star Wars Episode Four. Yeah. Yeah. Mate. All right. So, well, actually, it's not really a prequel because it's not, you'd have to be released afterward for it to be a, well, whatever. It, I don't think it's, I, I, I honestly don't think it's going to be a prequel to Rogue One, you know? Like when yeah. I first heard that, that, um, uh, Witta, sorry, was, yeah. uh, going to be writing an episode of Rebels, I thought for sure it was going to be like, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. style, like, we're introducing this character, and then you're going to see him in Rogue One next week, and it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. That's the end of the act. But, yes, you know, then I heard that, that, that that's not what they're doing. They, they said, like, we're not doing that for Rebels, and which I thought was really an interesting choice, because it seems like you would want... I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. The only thing that I can think of is the production time lag is mm-hmm. you know, so different. But it can't be that different because they've got Gary Whitta writing an episode. But whatever. So instead of you know getting a, a prequel to Rogue One, we're getting a Wedge origin story. Yeah, and uh, which is you know all well and good. And, uh, of course, we find out that Fulcrum in this scene is actually an interchangeable cover name for anybody who's willing to help the rebellion because when Fulcrum was mentioned uh, in the lead up to this episode, everybody got excited because they said, no, Fulcrum's Ahsoka. Ahsoka is Fulcrum. And they do mercifully uh, confirm what I had hoped uh, by saying, no, Fulcrum's just a cover name we use. It's like, oh, okay, thank you. 
that's that's good. Um, but before we get too much further in, I do want to say uh, during that opening um, pre-logo uh, sequence, the the space battle, they use two of my favorite ships from the entire Star Wars universe, which is TIE Interceptors and A-Wings, which yeah. I have been obsessed with since I was a child. So to see them going up against each other in that opening sequence was... That was a bit of fan service that made me happy. So, yeah. And, you know, speaking of fan service, I mean, I guess the whole idea behind this episode is kind of fan service the idea of doing a wedge mm-hmm. origin story. And I'm okay with that because I love Wedge. I've loved Wedge ever since I was a kid. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's the, the one who's in all three movies or whatever. But yeah, I always get a kick out of Wedge. You know, I liked how they used him in uh, Aftermath, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I didn't. Well, no, let's not talk about Aftermath, please. I still, I'm not let's, done with. Let's keep I'm, it happy. I'm, I'm still, I'm still working my way through Life Dead. Although I have to say, I, I like Life Dead a lot more than I liked Aftermath. You so. are crazy. You're crazy pants. You're at, But, but speaking of, you are. But speaking of crazy pants, I, okay, this is sort of your traditional you know, breaking into the base with a cover identity trope where it's like, oh, my car didn't work at first. I I'm, Like, I mean, come on. This is this is obscene. Like, you know, oh, wait, no, I have to blow. No, there's more space dust on this. You know, could we not have just gotten past this without doing this scene? I, I would have been happier without it, is all I mean, I'm saying. Perhaps, but I saw it as a, uh, as a nod to the old Nintendo entertainment system and the idea of blowing <laughs> on things, making them work, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, the way they dealt with it. Sure. But I don't, I, I don't know. I'm kind of burned out on those sorts of scenes. Now, see, we, we've got something interesting going on here though, because this is very evocative. This Imperial base is very evocative of cloud city mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot down to the color scheme. Yeah. Do you think that that is any sort of nod to anybody's, you know, hey, Empire's my favorite, so let's make it look like that? Or did, do you think that was a note from Witta or anything? Because Witta is pretty well known for not enjoying the prequels particularly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd say that's a fair comment. Yeah. I mean, was it a, I, I don't know if it was a, a Witta comment or whatever. I mean, I think this entire series is very much uh, visually... Um, uh, in tune with the original trilogy. I mean, look at these, you know, things right here. This looks like the Death Star. You know, it's not the Death Star, yeah. but it looks like the Death Star. I mean, the doors and everything, uh, the sound effects, the the way that the ships move, you know, is very evocative of Episode Four. So I think that you know this base looking like uh, Cloud City is just in keeping with sort of the overall aesthetic of the show you know they do that a lot it's all, sort of all about the visual references to uh, the original trilogy which oh, sure. I, I like quite a bit yeah well i mean you know the, a lot of their um earlier vehicle inspirations definitely came from macquarie's original paintings and stuff like that i just you know i always i'm always looking for the tell i guess that you know so, somebody snuck in something that's a, a little extra um, probably looking too hard on that one. 
Now, I mean, I, I think well, I think we do see that later on, um, which which I, I uh, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it eventually. But there's there's a nod later on, which I think is maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think it's cool. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So we're sitting here. We've met Wedge, and he's you know with Sabine and her cover story, and they're they're firing. They're going through. And we, you know, we have the Imperials giving them their orders to, you know, to go through. And here we come. They're watching. And this is sort of an evil Kobayashi Maru test, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where it's what ha, what do you think of this scene? Like this is this is. I, I mean, I, I can't think of any other way to put it. You know, this is evil Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, I, I think that is good. It, it makes sense. Um, it, I I would imagine that the Empire would have tests like this, and I I think that it's a pretty good scene that you know kind of like showing their talent while not putting them in danger, but then also kind of like showing uh, the Empire's you know philosophies. That's and the we end, just end of yeah, the yeah that was the end of the act. <laughs> so now we're back. And then there's also the whole thing where you see the the ghost, and that's kind of like a whoa, wait a minute kind of thing. And here, look at this. This is so cool with the little flight simulators. I mean, yes. just the way that it looks like the the uh, cockpit section it, of it, the Tie Fighters and everything. In case anybody missed the uh, the you know the note that the we've transitioned, they have just climbed out and they're at the debriefing after they climb out of the Tie fights uh, flight simulators. Um, just in case you're you're looking to cue it back up, and we have. Um, you know, the big bad pilot instructor walking down the ramp and walking toward them now. Uh, yeah. The guy with the mustache. I mean, what what do you think? Well, who, okay, out of the main characters on Rebels, who's your favorite? The main characters on Rebels? Oh, geez. Um, you know, honestly, uh, Zeb. Yeah. Because I like that type of character. Who's yours? I think it's Sabine. Really? And- yeah, and, and they never really give her anything to do. And she's like the one character who I'm always like, no, come on. I I am so tired of Ezra and Freddie Prinze Jr. and their Force thing. Uh, can we please just explore some of these other characters? Like, I like the Zeb episodes. I mean, Chopper, I, I honestly like Chopper a lot more than I like R2 or 3PO. You know, I mean, maybe that says really? more about me than it does about, you know, him. But well, whatever. Okay, oh, no, 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 no. so back up, back up there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And right now, Agent Callus has just arrived. But yeah. back that up. You like Chopper more than R2. Okay. I, look, I don't well, really well, like... And, no, and, and you like Sabine. <laughs> Sabine, who is a character that I don't particularly care for because she typically doesn't have a whole lot to do. Yeah. Right? What is it about those characters? What works for you, for them? Well, for Chopper, I think what I like is the, the sense of humor at play. You know, I like his sort of like his attitude, his bad attitude, his shtick, you know, whereas I, I think like, you know, R2 and 3PO have a shtick and I'm not really too fond of their shtick. You know, every time people are like, yeah, R2 and 3PO are in the new movie. I'm like, oh, great. Cool. That's that, that, that'll be some, you know, semi humorous moments, you know, that we get to see on screen. But like with Chopper stuff, like it, it genuinely makes me laugh. You know, I, I, I like that stuff. Um, as far as Sabine is concerned, I, I like the idea that, you know, she's a Mandalorian and that she is, you know, artistic. You know, I like how mm-hmm. she she's kind of like designed the, you know, her Mandalorian army or armor to to look like, you know, uh, something with a little a little extra flair. And 
I don't know. There's just something about that uh, which is cool to me. And maybe, you know, it's the fact that she's wearing the armor, you know, because that's an interesting thing which I, I sort of discovered while watching Clone Wars where it's like everyone loves Boba Fett, right? But, like, Clone Wars has Boba Fett and Clone Wars has Mandalorians. And whenever they had an episode with Boba Fett, I was like, oh. But anytime there was an episode with Mandalorians, I was like, oh. You know, and I think yeah. maybe the cool thing about that character is just the armor. I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm gonna go out. There, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna throw it out now that I was never a huge Boba Fett fanboy the way others were. Yeah, um, I I was. You know, I loved the armor. I and I I thought he was cool, and I loved you know. The, probably my favorite moment with Boba Fett, no lie, from the original trilogy, is the fact that Ben Burt added a Spurs sound to him when he's walking through Cloud City, and it sounds like an old gunfighter walking through. Yeah. I always love that scene where he's leading Han's uh, carbonite block, and Luke is trying to hide behind the quarter, and you just hear that clink, clink, clink. It was really cool, really organic, cool sound. Yeah. Um, the fanboy obsession with Boba Fett made me start to dislike him over time. Mm-hmm. And then in the 90s, in the expanded universe stuff was when they started trying to rehab him and make him an anti-hero as opposed to a straight villain. I was like, yeah. no, I, I, I want to make him a villain again. And that's one of the reasons I love Jango Fett and that whole plot line in the prequels is because it sort of redeems Fett for me uh, in, in terms of you know uh, character and development and all that sort of stuff. So that's... Yeah. That's just my take on things. But, yeah. So it is cool to see Sabine get to do stuff here. Oh, and here we, we see Hobby, which is cool. Who, yeah, do, they never give his last name, though. No, like even, even in there, he's she's like, this is Lieutenant Wed- Wedge Antilles and uh, Hobby. <laughs> right. <laughs> which and his, I, last I name is cool. is, his last name is Clivian, and it's disrespectful not to give him his last name in this episode. Just going to throw that out there. Okay, I think this is my interpretation of this. If you want if you want to get into the whole Gary Witta influence, right? I get the impression that Gary Witta's take on Star Wars is similar to I guess me and my friends where, you know, there's the movies, there's the toys that we played <laughs> with. You know, he'd probably refer to an ATST as a chicken walker. And this guy is Hobby, and he hasn't read the random book in which Hobby gets a last name. Okay. And okay, he doesn't okay. care. And he's not going to look it up because why would you? You know, I am, in all honesty, it doesn't wreck the episode by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. I'm just going for the joke because honestly, you know, Wedge, they have to give his last name, yeah. you know, whereas, you know, any of these other characters, they don't. Um, and that, yes, I do agree with that. Um, now, I do think it's neat to see the tie training here. You know, mm-hmm. this whole idea that in your, your training, you have to be willing to turn on your own wingman. I, I think that that is neat because it emphasizes the fact that you're not practicing shooting at enemy ships. You're pre- it's almost like they're prepping people for the idea that somebody's going to turn traitor at some point. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so now, uh, okay, the, the Corellian Corvette just showed up. I love that ship design since I was a kid. I think everybody has. How do you feel about its inclusion here? In, in, in Rebels in general, 
do you think that they're over relying on the Corvette or do you think that it's completely appropriate? Like I, there's a part of me that says, I love seeing it. I love seeing it every single time they use it, but I kind of wish that there was another new ship design to see every so often. No, I'm okay with it because I really always, for whatever reason, considered it to sort of be like the generic ship design that comes off of the assembly line, which everyone has, you know? Okay, now this is the moment that I was talking about, which I think might be some sort of fan service or whatever, because I don't know if you had a, a TIE fighter toy when. Oh, when of course I did. Yes, you could shoot the wings off, especially, yeah, the battle damaged one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think maybe because I was a kid and because, you know, toys break and because you inevitably can only find one part and not the other part. I think when I was playing with my TIE fighter toys, I spent more times with their wings off than with their wings on. And I would like to think, especially since a lot of the design in this show is a reference to the original action figure line, that that little sequence there where they pop off the wings in order to to stop their propulsion or whatever... I would like to think that that was a reference, and that was that was an act break. We're now yes. back at the Imperial base uh, with the three of them in the holding cell with uh, with Cape the Blanchard villain from uh, yeah from the vi- the villain Jones, from the Crystal, Skull Crystal Skull yeah. in Imperial uniform. <laughs> I, I love that reference. I just do. I think it's great. I, I they I think that one of the things that I do like from time to time on Rebels is with their references, they sneak in a little bit of a. I'm not going to say it's as far as a middle finger, but they sort of bite their thumb at those that have hated on other Lucasfilm properties or aspects. Like the Clone Wars embraces the Gungans and Jar Jar specifically, I think, as a way to say like, yeah, well, you know what? You're going to have to love them just as much as we do now. And having a character so obviously inspired by, uh, you know, Something from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I think, is just a a very fun thing. So how much freedom do you think Witta had with this? Well, I mean, I think like with any show, you know, I mean, there is a show runner or whatever. I mean, I I don't know exactly how it works out. It it seems like what is like Henry Gilroy, the the head writer now? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. You know, so so I'm sure that they, you know, did a pass on it. And and obviously there is a, a... a story which they're telling on like sort of a grander scale or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to know if they were like, we want to do a wedge origin. Would you write it? Or if he was like, I want to do a wedge origin. Like, I, I wonder, you know, which, which way that went down. Neither would surprise me. Well, I mean, I've got to imagine with a series like this, especially as controlled a franchise as this is, I mean, wouldn't it mean that widow would come in and they'd say, this is the episode that we have flesh it out i mean like i i I get it's different for every tv show but like with something where it's so control i don't know how much he's going to have room to play with did they just give him bullet points and say wedge was an imperial cadet and they have to get him and sabine is going to be our focus character you know give us what you got yeah, I wonder. I mean, I wonder how much of it is influenced by, you know, pitches and how much of it is influenced by, you know, things that they they had planned out. I, I'm I'm very curious about that. 
uh, and, and I'm sure that there's, you know, some, a, a little of both, you know, and I mean, who knows? Maybe they were like, we want, really want to do a wedge story. I don't know. Um, now, this reveal here, I will say that regardless of whose idea it was, um, this reveal of Agent Callus right now as the fulcrum of this episode was really cool. Um, I, I like it when they do this sort of thing um, with a villain, especially somebody like Callus, uh, because I've always liked his um, facial hair. On, on this series so it's nice so, to see him have a uh, have a heart too yeah yeah and you know he's voiced by uh oh god david oh oh i always butcher the last name oh yeah. yell yo oh, martin luther he, king martin luther king in yeah. selma by uh ava duvernay so yeah yeah he's such a good actor uh he is, he is. and i think it's uh also very interesting in this scene here that they choose a tie bomber uh mm-hmm. to fly off with because if anybody has ever logged any, t- did you log any time with a tie- the uh, X-wing flight simulator? No, I don't think so. Tie bombers are painfully slow. Oh, okay. like I still have nightmarish recall of how slow and difficult tie bombers can be, <laughs> and just seeing it being used, like you know, you're talking about was it a toy, uh, you know, a fan service to have the wings pop off? You know, having them choose a tie bomber to escape in. I, I just I get flashbacks of playing the TIE Fighter simulator and the X-Wing simulator and just remembering how ponderously slow. I mean, they were workhorses. They could take a beating. Um, and that's literally what they say in this episode, right? Yeah. So. Uh, well, and it's actually the, I mean, the design for the TIE Bomber was um, one of the original TIE designs that they were exploring for the first film. Yeah. Uh, but didn't use, and so it came back for Empire. So, okay, now Ezra has shown up to save the day, and we have our convenient docking port, which is just the right size for everything. Um, my feeling at the end of this with with everything coming along, and I, I mean, I think it's actually some be- some of the most beautiful animation is that escape sequence right there where the the ships are flying away and uh, and going to hyperspace, but like I just I my impression of the episode as we're as it's wrapping up here is just I I just I think this should have been an arc. This should have been at least a two parter. Everything feels very sort of rushed with this. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, I, I don't think. Uh you know, I think lots of times like I, I not so much on Rebels, but on Clone Wars, a lot of those arcs felt like they were too long, like they should have been shorter. And mm. I, I think that this, this one was, was pretty well done. And I mean, as far as, you know, what this tells us about, you know, Witta and, you know, what, what it means for his work on Rogue One or whatever. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hyped now. I, I think this is definitely uh, my favorite uh, Witta thing that I've seen. And I'm excited to see what he does with Rogue One because it just confirms, I think, what we all knew, which is, you know, he's a really big fan. And uh, he has a, a good handle on what the, the franchise is and, and what it's supposed to be and, and how, to, how to write for it. So I'm excited. Uh, this episode is not bad, um, but it's not one of my favorites. Um, I, 
I've been having a rough time lately with uh, you know the the things that I'm seeing as fan service, um, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means that I'm, I you know I'm of a mood right now where I would like to see less fan service. But in terms of you know a fan service thing, this was I think a very well written episode. I thought the dialogue was good, so hopefully that is what I have to look forward to for Witta's contribution uh, in Rogue One. So here we've uh, we've come to the end of our commentary. Uh, thank you so much for going along with us on this. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, you can go over to thenerdparty.com slash contact. Look up Great Shot Kid. Drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of the show. Let us know what you thought of the commentary. Um, and while you're there, check out the other shows that we have to offer. We have Aggressive Negotiations. We have Nerd Nuptial, we have Filibuster, we have SETI Alpha 3, we got a whole bunch of shows, we have a whole lot of entertainment coming your way. Mike, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can find me out on uh, Cyberspace as Kessel Junkie, uh, roaming the Badlands as it were. And uh, if you're out there roaming the ba Badlands, go ahead and check out our sponsor, Loot Crate. Go to LootCrate.com slash NerdParty. Sign up with our exclusive code NerdParty. Get a discount on the monthly subscription fee where you can go ahead and you can get delivered to you every month with a different theme, a box full of goodies from T-shirts to mugs to different collectibles. You're going to get them sent right to your door for less than $20 a month, especially when you use the code NerdParty at checkout. So go to LootCrate.com slash NerdParty, enter the code NerdParty. And thanks again for joining us for the commentary, and we will see you next time on Great Shot, Kid.